welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If today is the first day that you happen to be joining uh, Antelope Road online, I want to introduce you. We're in the middle of a series, actually toward the end of a series called One Body, Many Parts. And this is uh, an illustration that an early church father, the Apostle Paul, gave us. Um, not all, well, in a few different places, really, but uh, it's a seven-part series that we're doing. Today is uh, the sixth part, and this is basically the Bible telling the Christian church who they are. That's simple enough? Are we good? This is the Bible. So if you're new to Christianity, we believe that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so it's authoritative in revealing God to us and especially in revealing who we are, but especially the central narrative of the Bible is God revealing to us how he ransoms a rebellious humanity back to himself by his blood shed on the cross. Amen. So that is the central narrative. Everything relates to that one way or the other. A, a beautiful creation broken by human rebellion. God redeems it in the cross and one day he'll wipe away every tear. That is the central uh, thread of the Bible just to oversimplify it. And so uh, it may or may not come as a shock to you if you're new to church that we open the Bible to find out who we are and where we as Christians are not loving and serving each other, loving and serving the world the way we ought to, relating to God the way that we ought to. We open the book. That's, that's what we do. And so allow me to catch you up to speed with where we've been. So back, way back on Easter Sunday, some of you guys, if you've been with us, you remember, we said Jesus' death and resurrection not only saves individual people from their sins, it does, but when you are saved by Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God. There's not just a vertical implication of his cross, but horizontal. You, when you are adopted, you gain siblings. The next week we said this, an isolated Christian cannot use their spiritual gift, so join a disciple group. A spiritual gift is something that God the Holy Spirit gives to a Christian to specifically make them really, really good at serving in one way or another. Lots of different ways, but really, really good at serving others so that the family would be stronger. And the next week we said this, the Christian doesn't have the right to tell God, the church doesn't need me. So we encourage people, join a disciple group. Our, our disciple groups are still happening, by the way. They're on Zoom. So join a disciple group or a, or a Sunday school class. If you guys are meeting online, Bible studies, join one. Because that group needs you. And again, go back and watch it. I, I proved it from the Bible. I did my best to prove it. That God designed every Christian to love and serve each other. So don't say, don't tell God that the church family does not need me. It's just not true. And the church family is also about fighting sin. If you do so with a friend, you are sharing that friend's burden. And Jesus is pleased when he watches Christians share each other's burdens. I'm going to help you fight sin. I'm not going to allow you to be crushed under the weight of condemnation. But I'm not going to allow you to walk with a swagger either like you're bigger or better than God. Somewhere in the middle is humble Christian repentance. Where Christ is perfect, I'm not perfect. And so I'm trying to chase after him with my heart and mind and behaviors. And the church is designed to help each other in the fight against sin. It's, you're not supposed to be on your own. On your own, you're going to get kicked in the derriere. Okay? I should not have to tell you that. If you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you should know that if it's you versus sin and you're by yourself, you're going to lose. Conrad came in. Christians submitting to each other is a necessary part of learning to be the body of Christ. Did a good job. Make sure to, to check that one out on YouTube or Facebook if you missed that week. Submitting to each other. Again, not 
the favorite verb of the modern world. When we're fighting for our own rights, we are very rarely looking, how can I lay down those rights in order to love and serve the people around me? Um, We've been doing that now for more than 30 days. ARCF has the legal right to kick people off of property, and we have been choosing to lay down a right. It's cost us, in case you don't already know. There, I, I tried to get across to you guys last week, it's not love until it hurts. It's not love until it costs you something. But that's a laying down of rights. When you have all the legal authority at any moment in the last 35, 40 days, we could have said, boom. Okay? ARCF, if we are going to be Christians first, citizens of heaven first, and Americans second, there will be things on the Bill of Rights that we absolutely have the right to politically, and we're going to humbly lay them down from time to time. Thoughtfully, prayerfully, saturated in the word, from time to time we're going to lay down things we're absolutely entitled to. Paul talked about coming into a church and saying, I was entitled to receive compensation, but I saw that compensation was going to be a barrier to you guys believing the gospel. And so I spent all day making tents, and I would preach to you at night. Because I was not going to allow anything to be a barrier. He had all the rights and he laid them down. And then we talked about this loving each other is like a sledgehammer. It's hard, but it's not complex. That first time, maybe you're eight, ten years old, and your dad hands you a sledgehammer and says, Whack at that thing until it doesn't exist anymore. Really, really simple instructions. And that's what it is to love your neighbor. It is not complex. The results might be complex and the context around that love might be complex, but the action itself, quite simple, but that doesn't make it any easier. It's going to be hard and it's going to have to develop like a muscle. You feel it the next day when you've used a sledgehammer for the first time or if you haven't used one in a while. Today's sermon is entitled, Serve Your Brother. Yes, that brother. Okay? So we've talked about a lot of different of the one another's of scripture. Today we're talking about serving So those of you who have joined us, there we go, uh, that are with us on Facebook, and you can type your answer uh, in, and and, uh, Conrad, our youth pastor, is going to be, and you guys still have your phone with you, he's going to be engaging with you guys, um, helping be online. It's going to be like live Bible study as I preach, but he's going to be engaging with you guys. Go ahead and type in your answer to this question. What are the biggest reasons that people don't serve others? I want to hear from you guys. What are the biggest reasons people don't serve others? Uh, We usually have between 35 and 40 uh, separate screens looking in. That could maybe be 65, 70 people. Who knows how many? But um, So there there is room for hundreds of answers, and and I want to hear some discussion going on there. Let's have a Bible study while we do this. What are some of the biggest reasons that people don't serve others? We need to sometimes look at why we're not doing something if we're going to get past those barriers toward why and how we can do something. Those of you who are type A note takers, here's number one. Go ahead and start writing in the margins of your Bible or wherever. My spiritual gift and my service to the ARCF family cannot be biblically separated. They cannot be biblically separated. And we, we already talked about this previously, but it's, we're talking about service today. So here we are again. First uh, Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. So read with me, 1 Peter 4. We're going to start at verse 10. This is Peter, early church father, speaking to a group of Christians. 
God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Was that about as clear as day? That was plain English, wasn't it? Renaud, did you have to parse the Greek? Right? Don't we love, we love to have a Bible study on things that are quite simple. It's a sledgehammer, but I want to analyze it from 35 different angles as a way to avoid obedience. I I delay my obedience because I, well, I need to study that some more. What did it say? Use them well to serve one another. And he's talking to Christians, so you know who he's talking about. There are plenty of verses talking about serving the world at large. That's what the Good Samaritan is. That's a whole separate discussion. But he's saying serve one another. He continues in verse 11. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Wow. Does that sound bold? Does that sound brazen? Wow. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. So see how both of those gifts, in his examples, he ties it back to God? If you're you're good at talking, he's presuming that you're only going to speak the truth. Do it as if God himself was speaking through you. And that's what prophetic ministry is. That's why this pulpit, we don't do any kind of sort of maybes around here. If I have a kind of sort of maybe, that's because it's my opinion. One, I'll try not to share it. Two, if I really think that it might be something, I will walk over here and I will tell you, I'm probably not even on camera anymore and that's totally fine. That actually would actually prove the point. If the authority of God comes from the word of God in Christian theology, and it does, and Greg wants to share his opinion, we need to be really clear what is just mere opinion. What needs to be taken with a huge scoop of salt and maybe thrown out. Right? Okay? He just used as an example, speaking, do it with the authority of God. So there's a presumption that you're only going to say it if you're true. The scriptures say not many of us should be teachers because we'll be judged more harshly. If you're going to speak, it had better be true. And since it's true, be bold about it as if God himself were speaking. If you're good at serving others and helping, help with all of the energy and strength that God supplies. Is that cool to know? If you, if you, just, if you get your kicks helping other people, you, you know, I'm not super big personally on the spiritual gifts assessments because there's not even a text in scripture that says this is a comprehensive list. And none of those lists say that those lists are exclusive. So there, you know, you could have the spiritual gift of video games for all we know. And for if you're at home right now, there were two responses to that. What just happened? Uh, Carl just said, "Hallelujah, I've got that spiritual gift." And other people, <laughs> uh, other people just said, "Well, that's silly. How could spiritual get, be, be a video game?" Here, let me just basically say this: If you play video games with people. And people who were not interested in Jesus Christ hear about his love and are ministered to through the gospel and maybe even get saved. Don't overcomplicate it. If you play Halo and somebody gets saved, then keep playing Halo. I don't care how you do it. Just share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't seem to care. You're good at serving? Awesome. Do it with all of the energy and power and strength that God provides. Serve. Do it. Go for it. Okay? So your spiritual gift, and if you're, I'm presuming in this first point that you are a family member of ARCF. If you're not a Christian, uh, then you can just listen in and go, oh, so that's how the church is supposed to be behaving. They should knock it off. Uh, so if you're a member of ARCF, your service to ARCF and your spiritual gift, you cannot biblically separate them, so please don't try. 
Please don't try. So here's what this might look like practically. Being in a Sunday school class, being in a Bible study, being in a disciple group, it allows me to more easily see needs. Do you guys know I can't meet a need if I can't see it? I could have the total, I could have the right heart, 100%, a heart to serve. But if somebody doesn't tell me that there's a need, I actually have my hands tied. I could have the money, I could have the spiritual gifting, I could have the time, I could have the energy, I could have the desire, and still nothing get done if somebody doesn't tell me that there's a need. Right? Being in a group of 10 or 12 people, and, I'm, and I, I want to be really clear right now, it, a certain, there are certain needs that be, can be communicated just through a text message and through email. You know, if you lost your job and you're, oh my gosh, and we need a place to stay and what, like that kind of thing can be shared very a quick, desperate, let's get it out to the whole body. Does anybody have a place for this family to stay? But there are some types of needs. In fact, I'm going to say more. There are more needs that are deep down inside my heart that I would not share unless you were a close friend. You guys know that, right? Probably most of your needs, the real ones deep down, you and Jesus know what they are. If you're married, your spouse probably knows, or hopefully. There are some needs I will never share with you until I trust you. And since I will not share that need with you, you will never have the chance to meet it. So how am I ever going to find healing? Trust is the only path forward. When I spend enough time with you that I learn to trust you so that I can share with you my real need that you're finally set free to meet that need. Trust first, trust last. That's the only path forward. Number two for my note takers. I must serve the ARCF family with three things out of 1 Peter 4, 7, 8, and 9. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. There you go. First one, prayer. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Love. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Cheerfully, joyfully, not begrudgingly. These are three ways that right there in one quick breath, Peter says, here's how... Christian families, they call them the ecclesia, the gathering of the saints, your local church. Here are three ways you can serve each other. And I just want to hit on these very briefly. Christians, do you believe that when you pray for somebody, that you are serving them? This one's important. Because, let me say what you're probably already thinking. If your hope-o-meter, that little piece of your heart that has hope that God's listening and God cares and God answers prayer, if your hope-meter is empty and it's not really running anymore and your own personal prayer life is kind of broken or wanting because you're just like, I don't know if God even hears me. If you're not sure God hears you for your own stuff, you're probably not going to turn around and trust him to hear you for other people's needs. And so, if God's enemy can convince you that God is not listening, 
He can stop you from advocating for yourself. He can stop you from advocating for the brethren. And I'm going to beg you to open the book. Because when you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back at you, David already felt that way and he wrote a number of psalms. He already told you and it was recorded so that 3,000 years later when you're discouraged, you can read somebody else who is discouraged. And guess what? He was the man after God's own heart. If he at times felt like his prayers hit the ceiling and bounced back, and he was probably holier than you, you and I are going to feel that way sometimes. There is no piece of your prayer life, no part of do I trust God, do I not trust God that has not already been addressed in this book. This whole, every drop of this book is trying to get the human heart to trust God that we would run to the cross for salvation. Trust first, trust last. If I don't trust that he wants to listen, I'm not even going to pray for myself, let alone praying for you. But the Bible says that prayer is one brother serving another. So apparently God actually does something. Apparently he does listen and act. Because if God does nothing, I didn't really serve you and help you, did I? That command is implicit in the command that God's actually going to do something. At bare minimum, when I ask God to work in your life, at bare minimum, God made my heart to love you more. And that's legit, all on its own. Bare minimum. Prayer and love and joyful hospitality, not begrudgingly. Prayer and love Joyful hospitality. These are some markers for how we serve one another, are commanded to serve one another. Third, when I serve Christians, I give God glory. Did you guys know that? When I serve Christians, I give God glory. Allow me to prove it. Verse 11. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then, right? If then, do this then. Everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Do these with all the power and strength that God provides. Then, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. If you're doing it with God's power, he will get glory. He doesn't empower you to sin, right? Duh. That's why it's so dumb to take verses out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Murder? Murder? All things. It says all things. Can you go steal from somebody through Christ who strengthens you? No? I I don't think you're going to go kick puppies with the strength of the Lord? I don't get, I'm not getting any amens here. I don't think the Lord wants you to kick puppies and, and steal things and kill people. I, so I'm, I'm just guessing. In fact, gosh, if we learn nothing else from the life of Samson, if you're new to the church, I apologize, I'm diving into the weeds. But if you've grown up in church, if we learn from the life of Samson, we've got to learn God only gives his power where he's going to glorify himself. Like, that's like, that, that's building blocks. If you want to ask yourself, where is God going to involve himself? Building blocks. Will he reveal? And it's not a narcissism thing. He reveals his power and his strength and his beauty to draw people into relationship with himself. That's why he does it. And, how, and so, you guys keep getting me off track with all your amen. I just, that wasn't even in the notes. When I serve Christians, I give 
God glory right there in verse 11. And, and here's the best analogy I could come up with. It's probably not great. I want to go back to Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. Here's the deal. When a basketball player does a really, really good job, and it doesn't even actually matter at what, as long as it's a part of the game, if they have tons of assists, tons of points, tons of blocks, steals, plays excellent defense, whatever it might be, there are all kinds of special abilities playing themselves out in a basketball team. Does the coach look better if they win 80% of their games that season? Could we agree that, I mean, it happens, I, I think it happens, uh, well, actually it's proven, uh, that in U.S. politics, an incumbent president generally wins a second term if the economy is doing well as measured by the Dow Jones Industrial, which is silly because the economy is controlled by a lot of things. But this is how we operate. We, we, the human brain tends to oversimplify. So if everyone has jobs and everyone's happy, we tend to re-elect an incumbent. And if everyone's miserable and there's a recession or whatever, we tend to choose the other person, right? So, but, but it's the same way with sports. A coach, even if they were a so-so coach, if the team wins, if the results are good, the coach will look like he's better than he is. And you could have a good coach on a lousy team who doesn't turn the team around fast enough and they lose 70% of their games, and the coach will get more blame than is necessary, right? Okay, if you've been a Christian a while, then you already know this feeling. You're already concerned. Christians living out sacrificial, humble holiness, when we fail to do it, Jesus looks bad. We know that. If we are deeply concerned with Jesus' reputation in Citrus Heights, we're going to have to humble ourselves. And we're going to have to serve. And we're going to have to love. Because we do not have a coach who is a mere mortal. We have a savior. Fourth, service is a mark of greatness in God's kingdom. Did you know that? Based on the demographics of this church, there were not a whole ton of us that were raised in the 80s, but there were some. And we had Salty's, Salty the Psalm, Psalm book on VHS, these awesome, fun, and adorable Bible lessons from Salty, who was a person dressed up in a suit, and he was this big blue book, and he was the song book. And if you were raising children in the 80s, maybe you'll remember. If you want to be great... In God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Kids, kids music is just so beautiful and straightforward and it's peppy and it's fun and it, teaches, it puts something deep in the soul that needs to stay there. Right? Service is a mark of greatness in God's kingdom. Not self-glory, not I want to wear lots of crowns and be dressed in a robe when I get to heaven. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. The book of Revelation already told, tells us there will be elders who get crowns, and they've got the common sense to throw the crowns down at Jesus' feet. So if you think you're... No, just stop. The self-glory thing, no. It doesn't belong in the kingdom. When Jesus means greatness, if you want to be first, if you want to be preeminent, you want to crush it, you want to do really well at, at being a Jesus follower, you want to be really good at being a disciple of Jesus, you must become the slave. 
depending on your translation, the servant, the slave, the one who at the door will be in his skibbies washing mule dung off of the guest's feet. And then he proved it. When the night before he went to the cross for us, he got down and washed the disciples' feet. There is no one greater than the God-man. And he is not too great to serve. He's not too great to serve you and me, and he has washed our feet if we love him. You see, Jesus washes the feet of people who want the washing. Now, Ephesians 1 is really clear. You only have the desire if the Holy Spirit gives it to you. So he still gets the glory for why you're saved. But like that desire, Peter expressed it. Well, Lord, if I can have no part in you unless you wash my feet, then wash my head and my hands as well. Wash all of me. If it has to be this way, I don't need a little forgiveness. I need a lot. Christ's serving of his church is not just... Uh, this, the foot washing is a symbol. We don't all have mule dung on our feet. We have sin all over us. And Jesus was giving a symbol of what he was about to do as he was betrayed, falsely accused, tortured, and killed. I'm going to wash filthy things off of all of you. But you're going to have to let me serve you. It's not going to feel right. If you see me for who I am, it's not going to feel right. Why is my rabbi down on a knee washing the junk off my feet? This doesn't feel right. And that is our pride, the deal breaker. You will never come to Christ unless you're willing to allow someone higher than you to be less than you. And it's not going to feel right. And in so doing, he has called you to take yourself in your own mind, in your own heart's imagination of how awesome you are to then turn around and serve others. Your rabbi was not too great to wash feet. You and I are not too great to wash feet. So, service is a mark of a greatness in God's kingdom. Allow me to illustrate it this way. In the mid-90s, there was a lady who flew on a Southwest flight. And if you fly Southwest, you've probably experienced this yourself. Where the person up front has the legal obligation to tell you, you know, if the air mask comes down, put it on your face first and then help the miner sitting next to you. You know, here's the thing, blow into the tube. All these things that they have to tell you about the seat belt that I presume FAA requirements for what they have to say. But there are no uh, laws that say you can't add on to. And so Southwest for a long time has said that humor is a critical part of our company's culture, our company's ethos. We are going to have fun. And we're going to crack jokes and we're going to make this enjoyable. Because they felt, when they started in the 70s, they felt that the airlines had been very dry, uh, bland, businessy. Uh, you know, if, if people had fun, maybe they'd enjoy being on our airline. Let, let's have fun. From the corporate offices, on the plane, in our advertising, let's have fun. And so, as, as perhaps you've experienced, the person up front cracked some some jokes along the way in explaining all of the different safety features of uh, Boeing 737, and or if the 37 existed back then, I think it did. Um, this is well before the 737 Max. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. This is 25 years ago, and this lady was upset that the attendant was cracking jokes. 
in something that to her was very serious. This is safety. And she writes this angry letter to the CEO of Southwest Airlines. And the CEO, who I guess, I don't know if they still do this, he personally took any letter that was written by a customer, he took it personally to his desk. For a large company, that's pretty amazing. And he sees that she is upset at one of his core values. The company's core values are that we're going to laugh and we're going to have a good time. And so he feels powerless to do anything. He's like, I can't capitulate to somebody who doesn't like who we are to our core. And so he pulls out Southwest letterhead and in his own handwriting, he writes three words. We'll miss you. He folds it up and sends it to the lady. It's not a core value if you'll give it up with a little bit of criticism. No matter what the criticism, if you will stand firm in the hurricane of people's disappointment and frustration and anger, you're showing this is a core value, this is who we are. We're not changing. So ARCF, you already know this. I think this has been true for decades and decades. It is still true. If you visit ARCF, and you do not like that we are trying hard to serve each other and serve the world, and we're going to keep lovingly pressing in on you until you serve, until you have a ministry, until you join a team. We're going to keep lovingly pressing in on you if you call yourself a Christian. If you don't like it, I need you to understand something. We'll miss you. You cannot receive all of the joy and blessing that Christ has for you if you will not serve brothers and sisters. And if there's something in your heart that is holding you up where you're just like, no, I'm not going to serve. No, I'm not going to serve. No, I'm not going to serve. We'll miss you. The elders and staff of ARCF are not going to just flop over like a dead fish and go, you know, uh, we were just kind of kidding about that whole serving others thing. We're just kidding. Sit here in your chair as soon as COVID's over. Listen to the teaching. Do nothing with what you are told. Never read your Bible, never join a team, never look for needs around you, call yourself a Christian. Yeah, that's fine. No. No. There are certain marks of a transformed heart. And if you are not, we're gonna, one, the shepherds are called of God to encourage holiness in you, so we're going to do that, right? It's for your own blessing, let alone God's glory. But if you're sitting there thinking, I will never ever serve another Christian. I will not serve other people. This is all about me. You're a consumer. You're not a Christian. And so I need to love you prophetically and telling you, hey, based on your own convictions, I'm not sure you actually know Jesus. And I want to get you out of hell. So I'm having this tough conversation with you right now. I'm not sure you're actually a Christian. This is a core value, not just at ARCF. This is the Christian church. We were founded by Christ serving us. That's what makes us a people. This is who we are. Next, the cross of Christ is a Christian's example to emulate. The cross of Christ is a Christian's example to emulate. Let me turn there real quick. Matthew 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. Jesus replied, I'm sorry, she replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. 
But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? He's saying, you want to know who's going to be great in God's kingdom? Who can suffer and serve everyone else? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, Hey, he didn't say hey. That was Greg's standard version. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Did that sound like a suggestion? Say no. It did not sound like a suggestion. This was not a self-help book. This was not a cute idea. This is not a rah-rah session down at Golden One Arena where you're going to go back and, and crush it in business. Or No, uh-uh. This is how it will be. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even, are you ready for it? If you're part of ARCF and you were with us about a year ago, the Son of Man... The language from Daniel, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just wanted to thread the needle for you, just clear as day. The Christian's example, example that we are to emulate is the cross of Christ. It is the suffering of Christ, because that is how he served the church. Now, important theological question. How many saviors does the church of Jesus Christ have? Quick straw poll. You at home, type it into Facebook. How many saviors does the church of Jesus Christ have? Right? The Bible even calls him the head. One. Jesus, that's it. We only need one Messiah. We only need one king. Like, there's only one. All right? So when Christians emulate Jesus in this way, we need to understand, we are not going to die to forgive the sins of other people. It's not literal, it is an image. We're not going to die and sacrifice ourselves to provide forgiveness. You can only do that if you're holy. The Bible's very clear, you have to be morally perfect to die for somebody else and to have any effect. There's only one who's ever been morally perfect. When I lay down my life for you, and when you lay down your life for me, that is serving, in a different way, a living sacrifice. We're probably not going to physically give up our life and die for each other, but we will die to self every day as we serve one another, and the cross is the example of that. A couple of questions to consider before we wrap up. If you're not sure what you think of Jesus, as you consider the Christian faith, keep in mind that Jesus going to a cross for others is the foundation of the Christian faith. As you're exploring faith, I want you to keep in mind the very foundation of the Christian faith is Jesus going to a cross for others. That is the foundation. Okay? And this is critical because you're going to find, I, I want you to explore it all. I really do. I want you to read the Book of Mormon. I want you to read Bhagavad Gita. I want you to read the Quran. And, and I am telling you in advance what I believe you're going to find. What I believe you're going to find, Pearl of Great Price, all of it, is you're going to see lots of instruction on how to do good stuff so that God or the gods will accept you. Or you can achieve nirvana, whatever. 
That is what you're going to find. Stuff that you have to do, stuff that you have to do, stuff that you have to do, stuff that you have to do. And as you read the Bible, you're going to see Jesus go to a cross and cry out something for everybody to hear. It is finished. That's different. It is finished. Is very, very different than go and do, go and do, go and do, go and do. So that's my plea to you if you're exploring Christianity. To keep that in mind. The start of the Christian faith is Jesus going to the cross that you and I should have died on in our place to offer us forgiveness of sins before asking anything of us. If you love Jesus, discover one or two things that stop you from serving and talk about them with a friend. Everybody that calls ARCF church home, there's really no point in me flapping my lips to make a breeze if we won't actually take some action steps. So please do it. Don't just go, oh, okay, what's next? What's going on? What's going to be for lunch today? I want to ask you, please actually do this. It'll be good for your soul. I didn't put it on the slide for no reason. This will be good for your soul. Discover, and maybe it can't happen in sitting and thinking about it for five minutes. Maybe you're going to have to think about this all week. What are one or two things that stop me from serving? What is a line that I just will not cross? That if Jesus asked me to do that, I would have a real problem obeying because it's just too big or it's too much or it's too difficult or it's too scary. And then the most important thing, whether you're in your Sunday school class or disciple group or a Bible study, a spouse maybe, a good friend, talk about those things. Do you know how beautiful and healing and therapeutic it can be to give voice to something inside your soul you've been afraid of? And by way of leading, by example, let me just tell you uh, where I've been. I've been really, really afraid and reticent and concerned about serving people that are struggling with drug addiction. Because it's something that I don't know a lot about. And ignorance creates fear. So I've been afraid. Take those one or two things that are stopping you from serving and tell a friend, hey, here's one thing that's stopping me. Here are a couple of things that are stopping me. All right. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to have a week filled with serving one another every creative way we can think. Lord, we pray the same thing over and over again. That the community of faith, your word, and your Holy Spirit would coalesce in our lives to push us forward toward holiness. God, we want to be a peculiar people that stands out, that makes Citrus Heights wonder what on earth is going on in that person's life. What on earth is going inside that group of people. We do not want to be a building across the street from Leatherby's. We want to be a people, a group of ambassadors that seek with all of our heart to represent our King rightly. And Lord, we ask you to reveal your beautiful face to those of us that are tuning in today that don't have not yet seen you for all of who you are.
Please do that for them today. We ask for this in the strong name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.